Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah, a registered associate nutritionist and your favourite crazy bean. Full of Beans is on a mission to reduce eating disorder stigma and increase eating disorder awareness. Together, we will establish inspiring conversations with a range of individuals, including those with personal experience and their loved ones, as well as clinicians, researchers and charities who are all working to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Using my personal battle with atypical anorexia and body dysmorphia, as well as my Masters in Eating Disorders and Clinical Nutrition, we will together explore the experiences of like-minded individuals who are equally as passionate about sharing their stories to increase the understanding of eating disorders. Please note that this podcast discusses sensitive topics and should not be seen as a replacement for evidence-based therapy or treatment. Today I'm joined by Jess Griffiths, who is the clinical lead at BEAT. BEAT is the UK's leading eating disorder charity and Jess works to oversee all the clinical aspects of the charity. BEAT's mission is to end the pain and suffering caused by eating disorders through helplines, campaigns and support. I'm really excited to speak to Jess today about the future of eating disorder awareness. Hello Jess. Hi Hannah, thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. I'm so, so excited to speak to you. It feels unreal. (laughs) Oh, that's very kind of you, Al. It's lovely to speak to you. Thank you. So thank you so much for joining us today. I know you have such a busy schedule, so I feel really honoured that you've come on the podcast to talk about all things eating disorders. Where I wanted to start with you today was to talk about BEAT, which is obviously such an incredible charity. So if someone's listening and they maybe haven't heard of BEAT before, could you just kind of describe what it is and what you aim to do through the charity? So as you quite rightly said, you know, our main aim is to end the pain and suffering caused by eating disorders. And and obviously, you know, for people who are suffering, but also, you know, families and kind of providing knowledge for professionals as well. So we have a a real focus on on early intervention and um, campaigning. And, you know, obviously one of the major things we're so proud of is our helpline and our services you know and they've really developed so much over the last year so yeah it feels like we try and cover all angles Mm -hmm. in regards to kind of policy research as well as support services and training yeah and I think it's fantastic the like broad array of things that you do you know one of the things I think is so important is the kind of increasing the knowledge of the general community medical staff and I'm really interested in the whole like teaching medical professionals especially on more about eating disorders and I wondered if what we are doing in that area um for that if you could explain that yeah so um my history would be is that actually um I worked as a freelance trainer for them for about five (laughs) years and then I came on board literally during the first lockdown last year so I don't really know what it's like to work for Beach outside of the <laughs> pandemic but it's certainly been an exciting journey um so I came on board as the clinical training lead last April so 2020 and the main purpose for that was really because we'd been awarded some funding from Health Education England to create um, a training package for fourth year medical students and foundation wow. stage doctors And I must say, it was like a baptism of fire. You know, it was kind of like, wow, this just seems like such a responsibility to come in. You know, we know that, you know, training for doctors has 
been on the agenda in terms of the PHSO delivery group, you know, the recommendations that came out of the Avril Heart case. So, you know, and, and liaising with the Faculty of Eating Disorders to do that and Health Education England and the GMC. So that's what I came in doing. And, you know, it, it's been just so exciting to create this package. And, we, you know, we finally got it out there now. So the e-learning modules are freely available. Um, wow. You can have a little look at them through the BEAT website. So a huge passion of mine is training. It really is because I think if you can communicate um, and get people, you know, health professionals to understand eating disorders better, then it just makes all those interactions, you know, with GPs, with, you know, in any setting. And it, it could be so many settings when it comes to eating disorders because of the physical side effects of the illness. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that's been a real journey over this last year and just for it to be endorsed by the GMC and yeah. um, NHS England have got behind it. It has just felt like we really achieved something there. Yeah. yeah. I and think with the that, different arms of campaigning as well. So, you know, it's where, you know, across the charity, our campaigns team now are really trying to get that into medical schools and, and foundation deaneries as well. Yeah. And I think that it is really like that work to me seems like one of the most important things that we need to do and that you have done because like, you know, GPs or medical professionals are always the first port of call for somebody. Well, not always, but majority of the time, that's where somebody goes. So, and I think there's, there's been this rhetoric of, oh, GPs don't understand or whatever, but if you're not taught about it, how are you going to understand, you know, if you're present in a community where there's stigmas against eating disorders, that's that's kind of what you're going to take into practice as well. And I think that's it. That's what I hear from GPs. Even my own local surgery popped in a few weeks ago for something and I was talking <laughs> about what we were doing. And they were like, oh my gosh, can you come in and do some training with us? This is my own GP surgery. And I'm like, yeah, totes. And they're desperate. You know, they really want to know how to help. They need to know so much. And I think... You know, that's not their fault that they haven't received that training you know we know that doctors on average for the whole of their career get 1.8 hours of training on eating disorders yeah. you know that's so little isn't it so yeah. little when you think how complex it is and the mortality rates that we know are quite high yeah yeah absolutely and you mentioned just before as well that your team are doing campaigning as well is that did you say that was campaigning to get that into like medical schools and stuff yeah so you know, really, we it's, it's been such a complex process in terms of understanding <laughs> how doctors training works. Yeah. And whilst the, obviously the GMC are kind of the natural people to go towards, actually, each kind of medical school and foundation do we create their own curriculum. Okay. So there, it's a really hard process to get something into the curriculum because it obviously it means something has to come out. So you know, in terms of trying to, I guess, coordinate a response and we know it needs to be in the curriculum for doctors and actually doctors are telling us they want to learn about it. Yeah, it, it's a very tricky process and there is no standard way to do it. So we kind of thought, well, actually, as an organisation, let's tackle them one by one. Let's, you know, let's get in contact with them. Let's share these resources and also, you know, give them anything they need to be able to incorporate it into their, their training programme. So we're trying to make it easy for them. You know, we're not 
trying to be a pain about it, but we know it needs to be taught. So, yeah, we've got a you know pretty robust strategy moving mm-hmm. forwards with that. Yeah, no, that sounds brilliant, and I think it's it's kind of like an initial thing that you think, oh, you know, it would be it's fantastic. We need to train doctors and stuff, but then when you start looking into it, nobody knows the ins and outs of how doctors are trained, and it sounds a lot more complicated than maybe what somebody might think initially. I guess a question I have is, you know, it's absolutely fantastic and don't think that I'm saying anything. It's just a, a query um, going forward is so the the work that you're doing sounds like it's in medical school. So is there thought of doing anything for kind of doctors that are already trained and working already? Yeah. So the package there's two different packages. The, the first one is for fourth year medical students. So they're not practicing yet. <laughs> um, but the other package is that you know foundation stage doctors so junior doctors so they would already be on placement and you know I really kind of had the vision of wanting to create something had this vision of like a junior doctor hopefully not in the middle of the night but in the middle of a busy (laughs) shift and you know they need to know something about eating disorders and I just thought all I want them to know is like oh I remember doing that beat module I know there was a load of resources um on there that I could just pick up and use and that and that's what we've done basically we you know we had a really lovely junior doctor who worked alongside us creating this content and she produced this eating disorders pocketbook and it's literally like a little fold-up document that you put in your back pocket um it's got QR codes that link to marzipan guidance and Hmm. assessment and things like that and I suppose that was my vision for it really was that um to have a lot of lived experience voices throughout so that they understand it but then just some practical resources so when they're not sure what they can do dig that out use it straight yeah. away yeah absolutely it's funny actually I, I don't know whether I've I think I've spoken to you this about with you before but I did something quite similar for my dissertation project but with yes. pediatric nurses yeah. um, and that was my like thing is I wanted to create that handbook to be like when someone's on a ward and maybe they think actually I kind of recognize this as an eating so that they can open it and then have the like little bullet points and it not be too much to take in it's just like something nice to refer back to so glad we both had the same idea <laughs> amazing well I might call on you Hannah because we're doing the nurses one now so oh well um... please absolutely <laughs> do yes I would be more than happy to help and get involved and just kind of on the I guess um subject of raising awareness and stuff I think something that I've noticed definitely recently you know it's fantastic that you know I feel like eating disorder awareness has really it's really going somewhere and a lot of conversations being had people are coming forward and that is absolutely fantastic but before I hadn't really noticed it because I think we were in lockdown and I was only speaking to my friends now that we're maybe going out a bit more and we're in larger groups I think I've had a bit of a wake-up call in that a lot of people still don't understand eating disorders so my kind of question I guess it's just your opinion is how do you think that because I think in order to change the rhetoric around eating disorders it's the people that necessarily aren't interested in them that we need to sort of get to and change their understanding do you have any idea of where we even start wow Hannah that is a very good question (laughs) it's a big one isn't it (laughs) yeah I think I think it's sometimes it's the element of sometimes we're just preaching to the already converted you know it, we need to find other ways of reaching people who don't know that they need to know it mm-hmm. and I think you know some of the ways you know you might have heard of Dave Chawner who yeah you know, does quite a lot of awareness he is fantastic oh my gosh what a great so guy funny. Yeah. <laughs> so funny 
Um, I was chatting with him yesterday and things like that, you know, he's, he's been down to Bournemouth, which is where I live and, you know, run awareness events in the students union of Bournemouth uni. And, and that's such a great way of reaching people who wouldn't necessarily find out about eating disorders. So I think, I think we've got to be a bit more creative. Um, yeah. But actually, I had some interesting conversations with Health Education England on the back of the kind of medical training project and the nurses project. They're really keen to kind of find different ways of raising awareness. So I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm not fully sure what the answer is, but I think, I think when it comes to mental health, I think we need to yeah be a bit more creative and think outside the box. Um, but how we do that, I, I'm probably open to ideas. <laughs> I think you're so right though I think in a way sort of the you know if somebody comes to you with something and they kind of trying to try to preach to you and say this is what it is this is why it's bad this is why you need to change your ideas around it it's all quite negative and you kind of shut down and you close off but I think like you said about Dave Chawner like his comedy like it sort of it sort of makes it jovial but it also makes it easy to listen to and I watched one of his sketches the other day where he said a woman came up to him and said oh I can help you like here's a bag of crisps and I think that's a really common misconception but he wasn't saying like you know he didn't get angry about the fact that she was like oh I can help you with a bag of crisps like he you know went about it in a really good way in that that's not how you can help someone with an eating disorder but here is how you can help someone but because it was sort of like really easy to engage in it just made it so much better so I think you're right we need to get creative rather than just like saying to people this is an eating disorder and you're saying things wrong yeah it's about changing that and I think it is I think sometimes you know, I you know, I'll be careful what I say here, but I think you know, if we come across with that quite negative campaigning approach, I, I just I just don't know if people just tune out. I think I'm all about like yeah. showing a better way in a positive way. Mm-hmm. So I mean, obviously, you know, some things just need calling out, don't they? Yeah. But I think people want to be empowered. I think it's the conversations that people are having on the street. It's a community response, I think, that is so important. And I, you know, I suppose that's why I think, you know, I spend you know a good amount of time investing in you know publicity stuff and and doing interviews because I just think any way we can reach the general public in a different arena mm-hmm. you know it's spreading that message so you know forging links with people you know you know in Eastern Source Awareness Week we did a you know an Instagram live with Bryony Gordon for instance and just trying to use those networks really to get the message out there in different yeah. ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think equally, and I know this is something that Beat really do um, like focus on is that support for parents and carers. And I think by getting the message out there, it actually helps people that are maybe that have somebody who is struggling with an eating disorder. You know, I've spoken to quite a few people recently who they've got family members that have an eating disorder and they just don't know what's going on and they have no idea because there's just it seems like there's a lot out there but actually I don't think you know in the general population that is quite getting through no and I mean I'm so pleased with what we've achieved you know in terms of the carer support it's just massively accelerated over last year and I just always think they're our best resource you know they Mm -hmm. you know if you think about it they might be going to an appointment one one hour a week you know alongside the person they're supporting they're doing the other 
167 hours of that week. Yeah. That's so much time and it's exhausting and it's so isolating because as you said, not many people actually understand who do you talk to? So I think, you know, we've really gone for that focus of, right, let's look after you guys. Let's empower you. Let's skill you up and let's look after you so that you can support the person that you're trying to look after and support and, and journey alongside um yeah they're just incredible yeah and I know that we do have quite a lot of um you know parents carers loved ones that are that do listen to the podcast um I think it's it's quite refreshing to hear other people's stories and know that it's not just your loved one going through it so if they are listening you know what what is it that beat does provide because I mean we've said how fantastic isn't it is absolutely fantastic but I don't think we've actually said what what it is (laughs) to say what we've got would be very wise isn't it um so we've got several things, really. Um, there's a carer's pack. So if you were to ring the helpline, you get sent this beautiful, very colourful pack, which has got loads of information and for free. So ring up the helpline, ask for that. Um, please do access that because we've got plenty of copies to give away and we want to, to give them to the people that need them. And then we have the Solace groups. So they're like peer support groups for carers. Mm-hmm. Think, um, don't now like quote me on this but I think we've got like 21 groups running at the minute wow Uh, some of those will be kind of ring fence for certain areas of the country um but that's obviously all on our website so do check that out and we just had some lovely feedback from those sessions that you know just to meet people who get it is just so you know it's what's the word I guess it's just you know just feel safe feel comforted you know people aren't going to judge you um so those are the solace groups and I think about an hour and a half at a time um running all different times of the week so you know that's that kind of peer support space um and then you know we know the evidence suggests that there's you know there's ways that a carer can communicate with their loved one that will actually improve recovery so you know we have developing dolphins which is a kind of skills-based workshop that you can attend and it you know the first couple of sessions are all about understanding eating disorders and looking at the animal analogies so you might have heard of the kind of whether you're being a bit of a kangaroo and a bit overprotective or charging in like a rhino so it talks through I suppose how you can identify your approach to the person with an Mm -hmm. eating disorder and then there's kind of time and space to practice some communication skills to learn how to communicate with someone with an eating disorder and I don't deliver them now but I I did do and it was just so wonderful to be on a journey alongside some of the carers and hear the amazing stories of like okay you're not actually lying to me it does work Mm -hmm. these skills absolutely work and you know I think that's what's so positive and then on the back of writing developing dolphins we then created raising resilience which is kind of the next layer on from developing dolphins which is also a a skills workshop so you can look on to those those are five sessions of two and a half hours led by an eating disorders clinician so you know someone who's already working in an eating disorder service and I think there's something nice about coming along to a beat one because it's not within the service obviously there's there's good aspects of going on to a carer skills workshop that's within the service but I think it's sometimes nice to have that objective viewpoint as a carer as well all on our website go on to um www.beatingdisorders.org.uk and go to the kind of supporting someone and support services you'll find the info there yeah I think like the um 
providing support for carers is I think sometimes like the individual that's actually the carer can completely overlook um, and focus 100% on their loved one because they want to them to get better but I think that that work that you do with people is just completely invaluable because nobody knows and I don't think even the person that's struggling knows the best way to like support someone with an eating disorder but by having you know you're not you don't you don't learn that in life do you that's something that's completely thrown on you and it's sort of you need to know it right there and then to help someone or at least you feel like you need to um but developing those skills and I also think just being able to talk to other people about what they're going through with their families I know I've spoken to my mum in the past and she said if we if I just had one other person to be able to say like you know Hannah is struggling with this and just to be able to vent that out she'd then be able to recharge come back calm collected to help me whereas in our situation you know she didn't have that so she just came back tired frustrated angry at what was going on didn't understand because you know I didn't want to talk about it so I think having those groups is just completely incredible yeah it it totally is and I think just hearing your mum's experience there you just think gosh you know it's my one of my classic phrases is you can't pour from an empty cup but I yeah think sometimes carers are so often doing that aren't they Mm -hmm. they're not getting it topped up by having that conversation with a friend or someone who gets it and and so no wonder they get really stressed and burnt out themselves so um you know uh, my mum would say and I I don't know if you know Hannah I've obviously gone through a process of recovery myself but we were really lucky I think as we journeyed through it that my mum and dad did have a real good support network and and I'm sure that made a huge amount of difference for actually my trajectory through recovery yeah absolutely I think having that support for your loved ones as well as you is you know completely invaluable and I didn't know whether you wanted to talk about your experience um so I I didn't want to like bring it up but is that why you got into you know working at beat um and you know being the in the role that you're in is that because of your own experience yeah I'm very happy to talk about (laughs) Anyone who knows me will know I say my husband says that I make made a career out of a crisis. So yep. you know, and that's exactly what I've done. I think it's <laughs> you know I think there's two ways to go. You either forget about it and put it in a box, or you use it as like you know you're so passionate you use it as your drive. And I think e- both of them equally are absolutely fine. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, feels so that, good. That was yeah the narrative for me really is that oh my gosh, recovery was so hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life to convince, you know, you've got this voice in your brain telling you one thing and you basically have to ignore it. Like you have to trust mm-hmm. other people more than you trust what that eating disorder is saying. And, you know, that, that is hard work. And I think battling through that and getting to the stage where I did get free, gosh, I just wanted to make it easier for other people. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I, I, I could say, I knew quite early on, even when I was still in treatment, that that's what I wanted to do. And obviously you get the kind of, shouldn't do that, just wait until you're ready. But I think for, for me, it was, I suppose, you know, I, I, it was almost, and hear me out, it formed part of my recovery because I couldn't do one thing and then be lying about it. So in terms of, it's a bit more, I suppose, like drug and alcohol services, mm-hmm. you know, they, they don't bat an eyelid really of, 
people going on to their 12 steps and then becoming like staying part of the group I think we're a bit slow with that with eating disorders Mm -hmm. I think I think you know we say go away for two years and and then come back whereas of course hopefully in in that two years of course they've moved on with their lives of course they have whereas I'm keen on you know capturing those people and helping mentor them and thinking actually no these some of these people are our workforce you know we know from all the kind of information out there we're struggling to get a workforce right now and I think people with lived experience are our biggest weapon in the fight against eating disorders Mm. um and and I think it's totally possible I just think there's a lot of work we need to do around defining recovery keeping people safe we're just a bit behind I would say in it yeah and that's a really good point you've made about sort of the like you know you wouldn't say anything if somebody was an alcoholic and then they came through that and then they wanted to help other people whereas sometimes I know I felt personally you know when I was doing my master's um which I did in eating disorders it was like I was there because you know I was very close I would say you know I feel fantastic about recovery now but at that point I wouldn't say that I was as good as I am now but I knew that it's what I wanted to do because like you said I wanted to help other people but I remember sitting in the lecture theatre thinking I'm such a fraud like I and I'm there learning about eating disorders trying to help other people but I thought I can't say that I've had an eating disorder because everybody would be like why the hell are you here like you you can't do this if you've had one yourself but I think now like one I think that rhetoric is bad because it means that people then don't want to open about their experience because it's almost something that we should be shameful of but two like I think there I don't want to say this and it sounds bad there is a level of understanding that you can get and you can only get that from having an eating disorder and I'm not saying that I think that you know you can only work in eating disorders if you've had one not at all but I think there is there is some things that you know it just gives you that greater level of empathy for helping people. No I I totally get that and I think you know when I'm working with other health professionals I think quite often they acknowledge that you know they acknowledge that oh Jess you you know you've lived it you really get it and I must say I've only ever seen it as a positive thing you know people Mm -hmm. gravitate towards me think oh no Jess you really get it like you you know but something of what you were just saying made me think there's almost you know there's stigma across the board but there's almost to me sometimes it feels like there's a real stigma in recovery I Mm -hmm. sometimes really sense this perception that a lot of people don't think it's possible to get fully better yeah um and it it frustrates me at at times because I sense it but I think I just think we need to tackle it a bit more I do feel like you know we need to remove that fear there just seems to be a lot of fear around including people in like peer support work and I just think there's more work to be done to I think create a framework where everyone feels safe so services will feel Mm -hmm. safe recruiting people and people with lived experience will be feel safe in their hands as well I mean early on in the days of getting stuck back in I you know I could absolutely tell in about three seconds whether someone thought I was recovered or not by the way they talked to me um thankfully that doesn't happen quite so much now but I really used to to sense it a lot and felt quite dismissed yeah yeah I think that could be quite hard I think you're right though we almost in the same way we need to change the rhetoric of what an eating disorder is so not thinking about maybe the typical ideas that we have almost need to change the rhetoric of what recovery looks like as well because it's 
and I've not thought about this episode, and this is just my brain sort of coming out with it right now. But you know, when I think when we typically in society, when we think of an eating disorder, we think of a emaciated white middle class young female. And when we think recovered, we think, you know, going out every day and eating cake and being so um, confident around food and loving the skin that we're in. But I think in the same way that eating disorders, I would say, are on a spectrum and you can sit wherever you fancy. Well, not wherever you fancy, but, you know, there's many places you can sit. I think recovery is the same. Like for me, I think sounds strange to say it but some of the qualities of my eating disorder I think have made me a better person and I don't necessarily want to lose those so I don't think this idea that we're going to go back to the person we were before as that's like your full recovery I think that's the wrong way to look at it I totally agree I totally agree you've got those kind of core values and some of those aspects made the eating disorder really not great and destructive Mm -hmm. but channeled in the right way are a force you know so helpful but yeah I totally agree I don't feel like I felt like I was the new improved and free Jess you know through through recovery but I think something you were just saying made me also remember that you know I think before I kind of engaged in working in services you know you you said that you remember sitting in that kind of lecture theatre feeling a bit of a fraud when I felt like that until I got stuck back in working and I think I had this almost perfectionism in recovery of like I must never have an eating disorder for ever yeah. again. Yeah. Otherwise I'm a fraud. And then I was like, well, Jess, you really need to chill out because you have to eat every day. So of course you have to think about food. What yeah. is an eating disorder thought, Jess? <laughs> and, and I really had to unpack that. And as I got to know, so I started working back in the hospital where I was treated and I got to know some of the team. And then I was like, they all have issues. I'm like, oh my gosh and and for one person in particular I'm like I think I am actually more secure than them and then there was this kind of like everyone gets stuck back in working in mental health for a reason don't they they you know everyone comes with their story and I think yeah just I had to reframe what that looked like doing life and and life's messy and actually everyone's in this business of life together mm-hmm. whether they've had an eating disorder or not they've, they've probably been through <clears throat> something difficult so yeah it was kind of a real awakening moment but I think you know I can see that I felt the pressure to be perfect in my recovery and I had to had to address that too yeah and I'm so glad you said about the word perfect because I think you know for for somebody that's had anorexia the perfectionistic traits that's what drives it so there's no you know there's no question that when it comes to recovery you are going to try and achieve the quote-unquote perfect recovery but what does that even mean? Like you said, you know, yes. diff- yeah. it's different for everybody. It is different for everyone. And yeah, in a, when that perfectionism grabs you, it takes you off into a di- direction that's not not helpful. And, you know, I do, I do have that personality. So, you know, early in the days of recovery, I'd set myself off in a direction and then have to bring back, thankfully... I'm a little bit more middle ground than I was. I'm I'm still learning. I'm still, yeah. you know, processing my personality and my vulnerabilities, probably like most people. Um, but yeah, perfectionism. Oh, it is. It can be so hard to recognise. I think as well, yeah. like when you're in the middle of it. 
Yeah. And I think like one of my friends always says, you know, eating disorder recovery is a bit like a pendulum. And I don't think you necessarily, you know, you have like perfect life over, well, not perfect, we've used the word perfect. Like, I don't even know what you call it because it's not normal. It's just like no eating disorder thoughts over here, eating disorder thoughts over here. And I think every day you, you know, you swing between it. I don't think it's necessarily a, you're constantly going to be at the no eating disorder thoughts for the rest of your life. And it's not, you're going to be at the eating disorder thoughts for the rest of your life it's just about okay if you do swing over that side how do you bring yourself back onto that side and how do you cope with those situations so that it doesn't go into a full-blown eating disorder again yeah and I think that's something that I find sometimes really hard to explain to people because when they say oh so you're fully recovered you don't have any eating disorder thoughts I'm like do you think about food do you think about your body at all you probably do because that's normal so yeah of course I do that it just doesn't go anywhere you know if I I don't let any negativity I would say this is how I stay recovered I don't let any negativity prosper you know Mm -hmm. around myself I I work hard to maintain a peaceful mindset not really sometimes Mm -hmm. over the last year a little bit more with three kids homeschooling (laughs) (laughs) but but generally um I don't have to work hard to keep my mindset positive but for me that's the key to recovery that's that's what keeps me well is me accepting myself and 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 being positive about myself that that's what keeps me well yeah absolutely and I think that is that's the key thing isn't it it's having that positive outlook on things and just keeping keeping a, a positive mind I suppose my question would be if if you feel like you don't work at that do you feel like that is something that you had to work towards and now you have like things that you do to maintain that or is it kind of just like a natural thing that you do now? Yeah, that's a good point. I think, um, you know, do I have to work at it? I would say I had to work at it this year, you know, this lock, past lockdown was hard grind. And I think, you know, I, I worked super hard last year and, and I think, you know, I think I had gone to a place where I was trying to make everything right for everyone, like with the kids, you know, having three children. And I, you know, I had to take a bit of a step back. I got into a little bit of a negative place, um, mm. maybe ended up there before before I really wanted to be. But, you know, I just think that's also normal when I, you know, I think I just had to embrace that and say, just, you know, what, you've had a, a really you know challenging year it's okay it's actually okay to fall apart a little bit sometimes mm. and I and I think if I you know if I was I'm saying this obviously on a podcast but I think a lot of people think oh dear what's going on there but actually isn't that just normal what am I modeling to my children if um mm. actually there's struggles in life I think once again it's the pressure to be perfect and actually life isn't like that you know life is actually it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to say you're struggling so actually I think for me that was a real you know like I said I'm always learning but it was a real powerful lesson of be vulnerable is a real strength as well yeah absolutely and I think I think that's one thing that I've definitely tried to do through the podcast is to just be real I think it would be very easy for me to like do this podcast and say every day's brilliant I'm completely recovered and eating disorder's gone from my life but I don't think that that helps people because then somebody that is a few years down recovery that's having a bit of a struggle will think, oh, well, I'm the only person that does. So I think... Drives that perfectionism. So if I was to put it out there and say, oh, I never struggle, that's not fair on everyone I'm I'm supporting. You know, 
I want I just try and be real I, I you know in a sense I've got nothing to hide you know but I think it is helpful to hear that to struggle is normal and, and I think like I say as a mum I'm conscious of what I model to them mm-hmm. and they need to see the reality of life and how to navigate those emotions and those various different challenges so they can tolerate it and yeah. become resilient yeah absolutely and I think by you showing that difficult times happen maybe they will then develop beneficial coping mechanisms rather than possibly the not so beneficial ones that then maybe lead to eating disorders so I think that's really fantastic that you are so open and honest about real life well hopefully I think you know once again that little perfectionism can creep into parenting like being a (laughs) mom I bet Oh, had to work through that one a bit we're still working through that one as we approach the teenage years um but I think I think that's it I think it's you know I think for a little while early on in you know being a mum I was like oh are they gonna get an eating disorder are they gonna inherit some you know and it, it was a real fear for a little while but actually I think now I've realized you know there will be uncertainty there will be difficult times and I'm just got to give them the tools as best I can so up for therapy already um to you know to be able to navigate the challenges of emotions and various life difficulties so trying to chill out about it a little bit yeah. <laughs> don't <Jeez>. always succeed <laughs> no I think that's good I think that uh it's like you know it's like everything like we've already spoken about just showing that there are up days and down days you can't get everything right all the time can you and I'm not a parent and I hope I am not a parent for a very long time but I I know that I already stress about oh god what you know what if I give them an eating disorder so it's really nice and refreshing to hear from you that you know it's not going to happen you just need to help them navigate things well no and it's you know my eldest who's nearly 14 can you believe it um <laughs> she just said she just said mum you know she said to me in the kitchen those days she said mum I really like myself and it was just I'm not sure that I think because we call her we say we are the guinea pigs you know with you sorry you're our first child we get things like totally <laughs> wrong but I suppose for me I was just like so nice to hear a teenage girl yeah she's confident in her body and I'm not blowing my own trumpet because we have I've completely fudged it as we've gone along but you know that's all I want for them is just to be vaguely content in, in who they are and they'll have moments when they're not and she's had moments when she's not but we've navigated them together yeah well that's brilliant and thank you for being so honest about everything um it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you and yeah I feel like we've got a very good insight into beat but also you which I wanted to get to know you as well um so the last question that I've been asking people, and I feel like we've given a lot of tips today, but uh, we'll just do it to keep it succinct with the other episodes, um, is what would be your top tip or your best advice for somebody who's looking to get on the path of recovery away from their eating disorder? Yeah, really good one. Um, talk to someone as soon as possible that you trust. You know, it's the more time that goes par- the by, the more ingrained those thoughts become and recovery involves vulnerability it's really uncomfortable if it feels uncomfortable at that stage it's probably the right choice yeah okay fantastic Jess it's been so lovely to speak to you and thank you very much for your time today thank you so much Hannah 
What an amazing opportunity to be able to speak to Jess about the work that they're doing at Beat currently. I think Beat is such an incredible charity and the fact that they're so passionate about helping parents and carers is so important and really reflects the insight that they have into eating disorders. Next week we'll be joined by Andrea Claris who is a registered associate nutritionist and she works with Talia who was on last week. Andrea joins us to discuss all things intuitive eating and it was a really fantastic conversation because not only did Andrea bring her extensive knowledge but she also brought her personal experience and a lot of the queries I had with regards to intuitive eating, eating disorders, hunger and fullness she was able to really clearly answer. So when people have an eating disorder, we don't start with intuitive eating just straight from the start. Mm -hmm. We uh, start process of nutritional rehabilitation and weight restoration. We start this by establishing a regular pattern of eating in order to fix that broken hunger and fullness meter. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe to be one of the first to hear it. Please also like, comment and share this podcast with anyone you feel that may need support at the moment. Not only those struggling with eating disorders, but also their loved ones, as this can be a very difficult time for everyone. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses and this podcast aims to motivate and inspire individuals along their path of recovery. If you are struggling with an eating disorder, charities like Beat, Seed and First Steps have great resources. Please also reach out to your local GP to see how you can gain support for your eating disorder. See you next time. Bye!